0: to the BRFCS podcast. In part one you'll be hearing from our panel and they'll be talking about, well, how the lockdown affects the footballing supporter. What's the fans' view on lockdown and how comfortable will we feel going back into stadiums? So you'll be hearing from Lynns, Lucy, Holly, Bill and some inserts from Cammy as well. In part two, our guest is former Rovers player and, I've got to say, Rovers legend, Mark Atkins, who will talk us through his career in football, what it was like playing in that title-winning season, and what it's like when you've got to leave the club with whom you've just won a Premier League title-winner's medal. It's a great conversation. Hope you enjoy it So in this part of the BRFCS podcast, what I wanted to do was to consider lockdown from the perspective of the fans. I think we've all read lots in the newspapers and heard lots on TV and radio about how it's affecting the clubs financially, how it's affecting the players. But what about the supporters? So I've decided to get some supporters on the line and ask them the questions. So live from his, uh, his home in Canada, we have Bill Arthur joining us on the pod. It's been a while, Bill. How are you?
1: I'm doing Okay.
0: Splendid stuff. Yeah. You're looking resplendent in your blue and white scarf and a, a yeah, blue background I as well.
1: So, uh, I, I commissioned a blue and white scarf for my wife during the winter. Splendid.
0: <laughs> it looks really good. And you'll see
1: I have a blue dining uh, room wall as well
0: it is it's it's very reminiscent of the crown paints era if I may say so I
1: couldn't I couldn't match uh, I couldn't master uh, virtual backgrounds at this stage
0: all right well we'll move on to that for the next call I'm sure Uh, we're also joined by Lucy Dewhurst Lucy you you have not been on the pod since the Women's Day pod last year how are you no
2: thank you for having me back Um, it's lovely to see everybody Um, yeah I thought I'd make a return I feel like there's lots to talk about on this pod today about lockdown football And what we've been up to.
0: Splendid. We're looking forward to hearing it. Uh, Stalwart of the pod, if I may say so. But again, we've not had you on for a while either, Linz. Welcome back.
3: Thank you. Um, I'm not massively keen on Stalwart, but hi. Lovely to see you all.
0: I think Stalwart is complimentary, is it not?
3: (laughs) I think it's
0: old, is what it is. Well, right, you're, you're, on, you're on the podcast with myself and Bill, so I think you know everything's relative in these circumstances. And last but by no means least,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> last but by no means least, another set. Oh, but I won't use the word stalwart then. So another guest from the um, Women's Day podcast in March last year. It's Holly Thurston. Holly, great to have you back. Hello, it's good to be back. Can it's Nice then. to speak to you all. Lovely stuff. Right, let's crack on. So what I wanted to know from the panel was um, how has the lockdown affected your relationship with football? And to kick off the conversation, Lynne, do you want to get us started?
3: Sure. I miss it massively. I'm sure that comes as no surprise to anybody. Um, I've got a lot of free time that I've never had for probably five years or so. I've got every Saturday and most Tuesday and Wednesday evenings free. Um, So yeah, I do really miss it. But If I'm honest, the longer this goes on, the more disgusted I am with the game and the more I fall out of love with it. So the sooner it hurries back, the better. Because I think whilst the players are doing some amazing things and our players in particular have been a credit to the club, the narrative sickens me. I hate it. I think it's disgusting what's being said. You know, 400-odd people have died today. And our biggest concern is when we can ask people to risk their health and their families' livelihoods to come back with no safeguards. So I just don't think they've covered themselves in glory, to be honest.
0: Holly, where do you stand on this?
4: Uh, yeah, I, I do kind of agree with Lynn. I've I, I really miss football. It's something that I've grown up with. Um, it's something that is on in my house nine times out of ten. Um, there's always sport on, um, and especially football, with me and my partner both being really big football fans so yeah it's something that um that i've really missed um there's plans that we've made that we've not been able to do like we had away days planned it's it's just not been the end to the season that we all hoped for but at the end of the day it is a luxury and i don't think that i think we take it for granted um actually how much it is sort of it's it's not a necessi- it's not a necessity for us. It's kind of something that we can do to have fun. Yeah, uh, fun being the option, Like sometimes it's yes, not it's very not. fun, but um, <laughs>
0: occasionally
4: it's fun. It, yeah, yeah. It feels like there are certain aspects of the game where we're probably not covering ourselves in any glory, sort of trying to push things to happen because it fits a certain narrative that people want to happen. Yeah. Without thinking about people's livelihoods, people's families, people's safety. Um I saw, saw not long ago that they the EFL the EFL has put a statement out um about how training won't be allowed to start before the twenty fifth of May, um, because they need to put in certain safeguards. So it does it still seems seem incredibly yes, soon to me yeah definitely so it makes me think that yes they are thinking about putting safeguards in but 25th of may is two weeks away yeah and i still don't feel safe walking down my high street
5: i think it's just made me appreciate how much i actually love the game um really missed watching rovers inter and football in general um so yeah it's just made me realize uh just how much i actually love the game and how much i miss not being able to watch it um on a regular basis in fact It's made me realise just how much I love sport. Um, I tend to watch all kinds of sport and um, through the lockdown and with all these events being cancelled, you know, all the golf, cricket, snooker, whatever sport, uh, it just made me realise that um, what important part sport uh, plays in my life and exactly how much I consume. So, yeah, it just made me appreciate it more.
0: Bill, you have a slightly different perspective, I guess, from overseas, because you are more used than anyone on this panel, certainly to watching rovers on telly, and on screens, yeah, yeah. and keeping up remotely. What's what's the mood like in Canada? I mean, you, you're under vaguely competent leadership over there, which is a luxury no longer afforded <laughs> to, to the UK. Yes,
1: you, you could say that. I mean, I, I, I miss it, like everybody else does. Uh, probably not to the same extent, because I'm not going to live matches, but... You know, I, I've got iFollow and I have DAZN because uh, we don't have it on, main, we don't have Premier League on mainstream TV anymore, it's all on DAZN. So, you know, I have those subscriptions and at the weekend, you know, it's just part of my Saturday morning, I, I'll, I'll get up and I'll switch on iFollow and watch Rovers uh, yeah. and then I might catch up on some Premier League games during the day. So I miss that aspect of it. But having said that, where we are now coming into summer, we'd have been into the close season anyway. But during lockdown, I mean, it's two months uh, we've been in lockdown, basically. Uh, I had two weeks in quarantine after I came back from uh, England. And, you know, you're looking for things to do. It'd be nice to have some sport on the TV. Uh, I have to say I appreciate the BRFCS uh, rewinds, Ian. Thank you. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed those.
0: I've enjoyed doing them, I have to say. It sort of rekindled a lot of memories. and uh, Yeah, and
1: lots of things I, you forget. You miss the first time, yeah. yeah. But, you know, so I don't miss the um, – I don't have the contact that the rest of you guys do when going to matches and so on. But, but generally, I do miss it. Uh, I think I agree with I Think Linz, you said. It's, it's dispiriting to see that the way everybody's just looking after their own interests and the squabbles that are going on you know with the, there's no there's no common way forward here and they just keep squabbling from day to day whether it be the EFL the premier league the fa the managers the players and you know i think that's that's been really poor
0: it feels quite tawdry to be talking about whether yes. three clubs should be relegated and yeah. whether there should be playoffs and whether there should be this, that, and the other, and neutral grounds in the context of over 30,000 people that have died in the UK. I have to say, that's it. It's very odd. Lucy, you're, you're the nearest we've got on the panel to uh, an NHS professional. So, uh, from your perspective, professionally and as a football fan, how's the lockdown affected your views?
2: I think it's the same. You know, you miss football, I miss all sport at the moment. And I think. Um, what the other said it's like it becomes part of your routine and I think at the moment obviously for some of us who are still working we then don't have the sort of the like leisure activities or the social activities that you'd get through football at the weekend um, and I think as well like the last game I went to was Derby away and I really don't want that to have been how we've, we we finished that season as yes. well
0: for all these reasons
2: But I think um, from a health perspective, it does feel like we're trying to rush football back when, you know, we don't know how it's going to look like. Um, And like Holly said, you know, people are still worried about being outside or like from working in a hospital. You know, I've been terrified having to go into work and sort of manage like. Navigate my way around corridors and being near wards. So I think it's about thinking, you know, if the EFL have just said, like, you know, we're not going to start until the 25th of May, we're looking at the Premier League at the moment where they're looking at training groups of fives, um, lots of testing. It's whether if we're going through all these mechanisms to make sure everybody's safe, is it actually safe would be the question. And it'd be like, you know, do we have the resources to test enough people and all the players to continue the Premier League but then also how does that look for the rest of the leagues because I keep hearing things about you know the, the financial situation of football and I think the one thing uh, lockdown has done for me in my relationship with football I think there's a lot of scrutiny on the financial side of football as well which I think is always there but I think for me there's been a lot more emphasis on that about how some clubs are run really badly. And at yeah. the moment, you know, are we looking at a situation on the back of this that there, there may not be League Two anymore? You know, which clubs that have been really long standing as football teams may not exist after this, which I think calls into question things about how, you know, the whole hierarchy of football is, how we set up, as well as compromising the safety. So it just it doesn't feel a great situation at the moment.
0: Is there anybody, any of you, that feel your relationship with football is now stronger? No, no, no. I, I, from a speaking personally, I've been amazed at how much extra stuff I can do, and it's it's made me question just how much football I watch on TV because it's because it's on as opposed to it being yeah. event TV. It's something I've always been alive to is the fact that there's too much football on tv this really does seem to have, have brought it back home now this weekend it's looking like we're going to get bundesliga games broadcast behind closed doors how, how do we feel about that are we are we remotely excited
2: i am yeah, a bit just to see you know how they've how they've put it in place and sort of some of the things behind like how they are making sure that players are safe uh staff are safe um and i think I am looking forward to just seeing some sport on TV as well. I know we're talking about, you know, worried about everyone's safety, but just from a sports fan, I was thinking it'd be interesting to see sort of which games are on because as well, I've never really watched um, any other football apart from the English leagues, partly because there's so much on or you're following Blackburn. So I suppose it'd be interesting to maybe give another league a guy.
0: novelty value.
2: Yeah, just for novelty.
0: So who's done anything excited with the spare time? Um, I, I'm, I'm expecting you now to say you've learnt to play the piano or the
5: violin or learnt to speak Portuguese. have been playing Animal Crossing. Uh, it's a Nintendo Switch game where you're basically given an island and you develop that island yourself. Um, it's been a real escape for me to be honest also been watching a bit of Netflix and Amazon Prime there's some series that I wanted to catch up on so it's been it's been good with that and the other thing is just spending some time with the family um, it makes you realize when you're working just how much time you spend away from your family you know with work and travel and then coming back uh, so yeah having that quality time with, with with the family with the kids homeschooling probably not as good I. I realised that I'm not cut out to be a teacher. Holly, you're a keen uh, baker, as I understand, have you been... Yes,
4: I've been baking, that is pretty much everything that I've been doing. Um, I'm working from home, so and so is my partner, so we're both working from home, so it's nice to have a break of sort of being at home, but doing something different.
0: How does that work out for you, both being in the house at the same time?
4: It's not too bad, actually. We're doing okay, yeah. <laughs> um we haven't argued so we're all right yeah but I think that's probably because we haven't got football to argue about but it's one one less (laughs) thing
0: to argue about certainly (laughs)
4: um I think it's it's really strange because because we have I'm quite a social person anyway so along with football I've, I've got always got kind of plans at the weekends um and at the minute because there's not really anything going on and i'm not leaving the house as much it feels like everything's rolling into one long week yeah it doesn't really feel like it's a weekend it's that period so,
0: between christmas and new year isn't it if you've got the time off yeah, and you lose yeah. track of what day it is and then you wake up one morning and go bloody hell the bins you have to rush yeah. outside and <laughs> take the bins out that's been a, the excitement of the week so far Lindsay you must have learned a new skill surely you're playing the cello now or something
3: so I'm working from home work for me is the busiest it's ever been Um, and obviously my mum and dad are shielded as well so I'm their little slave Um, but in between all of that I did buy a keyboard in the first week of lockdown um, and I have mastered two nursery rhymes and happy birthday which I'm quite proud of but it's been in the box for about three weeks it'll probably be sold on eBay. the the next episode
0: of the podcast then I expect to see the
3: keyboard obviously for me my entire weekend revolves around football so I have had to find new things to fill it so some are not that cool and some are equally less cool so I'm currently watching (laughs) the bill from like 1997 (laughs) um that's really enjoyable the keyboard yeah nothing nothing of any mass.
0: how many miles have you put on your car in the last uh, six weeks
3: so i filled up at the beginning of lockdown and i've used two bars (laughs) <laughs> um, so bearing in mind, I brought my car brand new when I was 30, and I'm 33, and it's got 87,000 miles on it. Um, 86 and main, a half
0: were done in the last...
3: Yeah, <laughs> following Rovers. So yeah, my, my car is just a very pretty ornament outside my house now. So she's Mine's covered in cobwebs
0: uh, around the tyres, which is which is extraordinary. It's just not moved. It's got about an inch thick in dust uh, and cobwebs all around it. Bill? Uh, What have you done? Well, first of all, have you had any more spare time? Because you, of course, have the luxury of being retired. Is this just a continuation of the norm for you?
1: Well, no, it is different. I mean, although um, we're retired, so, you know, we, we, we used to have the time. You were saying, you know, you didn't watch a lot of football. I think I probably watched more because a lot of the things I want to do, I can do during the week anyway. Uh, So going back to the Bundesliga, I'll probably have a look at it this weekend. I'm not ever excited about it, but if I have nothing else to do, I'll I'll probably watch it. So it is slightly different being retired. But at the same time, uh, you know, every day is like the the last day. So there's always things to do during the week. Uh, The week is fairly structured. The weekends are fairly free. Um, It's just that at the moment, you know, the weeks are fairly free as well. Uh, I've been... I've sort of been honing some of my uh, photography editing skills, and I've, I've been doing some video work as well. Because uh, I decided, much in, in the way of the rover's rewind, here uh, I went back and looked at all my photographs and stuff from when I started bowling at our local club from 2012, and I've been doing videos of season reviews uh, since 2016 now. So. So, my my skills in video editing are getting better. I went back to my genealogy research. So, things like that. Um,
0: Holly, when football does come back then with crowds, how will you feel about it and how comfortable will you be?
4: I'm really not sure. Um, I probably leave my house um, maybe two or three times a week at the minute. And I feel really anxious when there are a lot of people in the high street now. And I kind of find myself shaking my head to myself, like, why are these people out kind of thing? Um, so I'm really not sure. But I, I think when it comes back, and I hope that it comes back when it's safe to do so, it is a celebration. More people do come back to to EWood, especially. Um, I do hope that it is kind of a bit of a, okay you've gone without it you've all said that you missed it so much so let's kind of show how much we have missed it yeah um honestly don't know how i'm going to feel until i'm in that moment
0: yeah i think when the first time that tickets go on sale is going to be intriguing i think age Mm
4: -hmm.
0: or your medical history for that matter as well will will certainly play a big part in in a lot of people's decisions to come back lucy from your perspective will you be there for the first game or will you just be a little bit more cautious
2: it's about trying to understand where we're up to as a country in the pandemic for when it comes back and like you said I think everybody has been affected very differently in the lockdown whether you know based on very different personal circumstances health reasons that they might have I think anyone's well I'd say anyone I'd be feeling really anxious about going back but if we're in a position as a country where in the pandemic sort of very uh, few amounts of new cases or it'd been eradicated completely then probably you'd probably I'd probably feel a lot safer yeah but it's about if it came back in the next couple of weeks I don't think I'd want to be in a situation where I was in a big crowd so I think it's more about the Sort of how we're doing politically and with the pandemic, based on how I feel about football coming back.
0: Yeah, I do wonder uh, what the circumstance, the success criteria will have to be. I mean, that announcement on Sunday that talked about starting to open things up on the first of July. I, I, I can, <laughs> you can only speak for yourself. I certainly won't be rushing out to restaurants and bars on the first of July. I think it, you know, you've, got to, you've got to try and crank start the economy. I get that, but this is this is a massive public health situation. Linz, how comfortable will you be going back into a crowd?
3: Um, I think it's a really difficult one because a crowd, for me, isn't a bunch of strangers. So I know everyone that I sit around. My seat is my seat. I know the family in front. Obviously, I go with a big group. The girls on you know, this call are two of my closest friends. I know them through football. I know the guy that serves me my drink at EWood Club. I know the person that sells me my programme. I've got a social responsibility to them because they're not just strangers in a crowd they're my friends they're people who share a common interest to me but above all in my work as well I can't afford to take any risks you know I work with the public I work with vulnerable people and there is my family as well you know everyone knows my dad's not been very well for me you know as somebody who's sort of young and reasonably fit I walk once a day that counts I'm not too frightened in terms of getting it myself but I am concerned about passing it on and putting other people at risk and and that is my worry but at the same time it's a huge part of my life it blackbird in particular is is my second home and the idea of not going back there for a massive length of time fills me with another type of sadness so it, yeah. it's risk assessing we're risk assessing all the time what's best for us as individuals and best for our club as well because if those bums aren't on seats we may not have a club to go back to
0: Mm, it's, it's, that's going to be a very interesting tale it's one to see how it unfolds but we've mentioned it already but the League 2 and League 1 clubs of course the vast majority of their income comes in through uh, gate money through the turnstiles, ticket sales as you get higher up the league there's a greater amount of, um, of sponsorship income which is which is terrific, you know, the likes of Manchester United will still have their um, peanut sponsors in Kuala Lumpur or whatever but as you move down the pecking order it's much much harder so Rovers arguably are in a stronger position through their ownership, but having said that, Venki's core business won't be unaffected by this. I'm sure that they've still got uh, challenges themselves, so it's a long way from being certain.
5: We've got to be very, very careful, and I'm on the side of the debate where I would rather the season be cancelled than it come back and it lead to infections. We've got to protect the players, got to protect the people at grounds. you know, apparently for a Premier League match to be played behind closed doors, it will still need 300 people. Uh, we've got to be absolutely careful that this pandemic is under control. The risk for of infection has got to be below the 0.2% R rate that the government talks about before we can even start thinking about coming back. So I'm not comfortable about it, but once it is back and it's safe, then I think there still will be some apprehension the first time I go to Ewood and there's a crowd there. But I think that'll be just with life in general, you know, going on the train, on your commute, going into work, in an office, busy office environment, going to a restaurant, going to a shopping centre. I think all of these steps are going to be difficult because there there will be that thing in the background. Is this person infected? Is this person
1: uh, going to make me ill?
0: Bill, do you uh, get out into sporting crowds in Canada, and will this make no, any difference? N- not large ones.
1: Well. I don't get into big crowds, but I would be unhappy getting into any sizeable crowd. Uh, and certainly, pr- probably, it's probably an age thing. I mean, certainly people of my age that uh, are always supporters that uh, we talk talked to on Twitter, uh, you know, they, they've no intention, as far as I can tell, of going back to a live match anywhere in the near no. future, even with people I know, I'm still keeping a distance. You know, it's, it's just that 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 <laughs> that fear that although there's not many cases happening, as people start to travel more, yeah. Um, yeah, we have a holiday weekend coming up, and I think people are going to be travelling more and coming into our town because it's a popular destination in the summer. That worries me. Um, I would I would just keep away from crowds generally.
0: Mm, it's going to be well. <laughs> there was a joke in there which is possibly not appropriate. we <laughs> was going to steer away from crowds, so going to Ewood really shouldn't be a problem.
1: <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know there
0: are some wisecracks about it being a 32,000-seater capacity, so we could have three yeah, I, seats each or something like that. Which is, Yeah,
1: I've been there in the five and six so <laughs> <yes>, thousand. <it is. laughs> yes,
0: but of course, it's, it's getting to the ground on public transport, all the rest of it, that brings challenges. It
1: was. It was- a great disappointment to me, having not been to Ewood for years, having planned our holiday in March in April. quite That uh, you know, I had to come back after a week and uh, didn't didn't see the Leeds game, so that yeah. was a big disappointment.
0: No, it's it's a real shame that when you, you there must be lots and lots of tales like that. Are people who book stuff but, uh, yeah. awful stuff? Listen, everyone, thank you very much for giving it your time. This is um, these our unusual circumstances, obviously, with lockdown. And I just wanted to get the perspective of, uh, from the fans, I think, to add to all the stuff, that, as I say, that's been written. So uh, we may reconvene at some point in the future when there's something to talk about, whether it's uh, somebody spying <laughs> on a training session and posting some video. I'm just desperately craving some kind of coverage of Rovers. But uh, Bill, Lucy, Lindsay, and Holly, thanks ever so much once again. And it's been great, uh, great to catch up.
1: Thank you, Ian.
4: Thank you. Bye, everybody.
0: And now it's our exclusive interview with Mark Atkins. So, welcome to the BRFCS podcast, and thanks, as I say, for, for giving up your time and joining us. I'd like to take take you right back. What's your first footballing memory? When did you first become interested in, in football as a sport?
6: When I was probably, you know, five, six, seven, you know, that sort of age. I think I was always kicking a football around. Yeah. It was it, it was something you don't really think about at that time. It's just going, you know, you, them, in them days, you were always out, always out playing, so... You know, we used to have a little bob of us in the village that used to go down to the park every night and play when you know you're seven, eight, nine year old and things like that. And I first really got into a team at uh, about I think it was I was about nine or ten, but it was an under twelve team. They were the smallest uh, age group in them days. Right. So I was playing well under well under my age, but uh, you know stayed with them for a couple of years until it was uh, could get a team going for in my year age. And just moved on from there. So it's started at an early age and always, always out kicking a football and all of the sports in the summer.
0: Who was your boyhood team?
6: Uh, Doncaster Rovers. I went to my first game when I was four and I uh, always supported them. Went to Leeds when I got a bit older, I used to go to Leeds as well. Some of my mates from school, they were Leeds fans, so I used to go along with them. But uh, it was always Doncaster Rovers, always my team when I was young.
0: That would be at the old Bellevue ground.
6: Not the best facility and everything, but uh, great. Grand, some great players at as Well, you know, obviously it was only the third and fourth division, but uh, Peter Kitchen was a big hero of mine when I was young, and uh, Ian Miller. He was one of my uh, favourite players when I was young as well.
0: Oh right! How, how the world turns around. So when, when did um, when did Scunthorpe arrive on the scene then? How did you come to sign for them?
6: Well, just like I say, playing the football, the schools football and everything. I, I got into Doncaster Don Boys team from under-12s to under fifteen. Under-15s 15 was a big year. Uh, you used to play in the 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 you know the, the National Cup, first thing in that season. But around all summer holidays, I was going to Doncaster and training. You know, I'd been picked up and asked to go down there. So I'd go down there. I'd been to Barnsley, I'd been to Leeds. So I was doing quite a few. Yeah, But uh, nobody really... I got to 14 and nobody... Then you could sign your schoolboy forms and nobody really came in and said, you know, would you like to sign for us? I was still flirting around a few places. And a scout came to me and said, do you want to come for a trial at Scunthorpe? So I said, yeah, I'd love to. So I went on a, it was the end of season, Sunday afternoon, I went to this uh, pitch, middle of nowhere, in a, in a park. It was just, it was not, you know, the facilities were nothing there. He just turned up and... Oh, the glamour. Out played. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, there must have been 50 or 60 lads there, all all looking to do the same thing. You played two 30 minute games nobody said a word to you you know you just got told where you were playing and what you were what you were doing and then just off off home and went and uh you know went, went back to Doncaster never thought of it and uh, I just went upstairs and got got in the bath as I normally do after playing a game i was I was laid in the bath and there was a knock at the front door this is two stories a uh, anything and uh my my you know never thought of it and my sister comes running upstairs knocking I thought you need to get out the bath you need to get out of the bath and I'm saying, well, oh, I'm, right, I'm in the bath, I'm all right. No, 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 you need to get out the bath. So I get out of the bath, put some clothes on, comes downstairs. I've only got Alan Clark sat in my front room. Oh, wow. Who was then the Scun- Scunthorpe United manager yeah, yeah. with a form on his knee saying want wanted to sign schoolboy
7: forms. And, uh, you know, from then on, I just went all the time. I did my first pre-season at 14. I was coming up to my 15th birthday in August. So and then it was just a case of, you know, going when I could, school holidays and things like that. And uh, keeping involved by, you know, from the first day I went, I, I trained with the first team all the time.
0: What was it like when you made your debut? How nervous were you?
7: Well, it, I wasn't nervous at all because I knew nothing about it. So right. <laughs> how, it, how it turned around, um, I'd, I'd got moved up. I mean, I played in the intermediates, was under 18s for for a couple of years. And then, then you get moved into the reserves, uh, you know, and you play in the reserves and... And there was no thought of really getting anywhere near the first thing because I was still at school. Yeah. So I was still doing my schoolwork and, um, you know, just training when I could. And I, I started getting asked towards the back, probably the last three months of the season, to go on away trips. Now, I used to, I, I used to. there were three different lads who came from Doncaster and they picked me up uh, to take me to training and things like that and to games when I was going to games. Yeah. And uh, they knew everything, what was going on. So, this one, I'd been to Crewe, I'd been to Rochdale, you know, all the nice places they were taking me. <laughs>
0: the glamour again. And, and, uh, yeah,
7: and uh, getting to the game in April, Wrexham away. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm definitely not going to be there. It's miles away. No not going to be going to Wrexham. And uh, the manager then was Frank Barlow, who was a big influence on my career. He taught me a, bit, a lot when I was young. And uh, he said, no, I want you to come. You can get the kit out and it's a good experience for you and all that. And I'm thinking... Oh, it's miles away. I can't can't be doing with that. But so I went and the lads <laughs> picked me up and uh gets in the change room and I'm helping, you know, put all the kits out with a with a physio and with all the boots out and everything and uh never thought of it sat in the corner. So he's doing his team talk and then at the end he names the team. And he gets to eleven and he says the eleven and then he said uh, and only one sub in them days yeah, yeah, yeah. and twelve uh young Mark Atkins, you're your sub. You know, I was I was got a programme on me and I just looked up and said all oh, right, okay, and that was it. You know, everybody knew. My mum and dad knew they'd gone down. Yeah. You we told all them. It was just everybody. Everybody knew apart from me. Fantastic. Which you know, at that time, it, you know, it was good thing. But I, I played the last probably thirty-five minutes of the game, um, and then that was on the Saturday. Then the Saturday after, I started my first game home to Mansfield. So yeah, it was a whirlwind a uh, couple of weeks. But very enjoyable.
0: Fantastic. So how did the interest from Rovers materialise? When did you first realise that we were interested in you?
7: Not until Tony Parks phoned me in the in the summer. I mean, the 1988, I was out of contract at Scunthorpe. Uh, they offered me a new contract, but I knew Alan Clark was after me to sign for, Bar- for him at Barnsley. Right. So on one of the days in the summer, I went through to Barnsley, and we had a good chat. Uh, he offered me a, a, a decent deal, but he said to me, uh, they had Joe Joyce there playing at right back at the at the time uh, he said I want you to play in the reserves for probably a year and Joe will move on and you'll take his place which was fair enough I thought so I was all set so I said well we'll go away we'll think about it but I was definitely you know saying yeah we'll, I'll sign for Barnsley the next day the phone rings and it's Tony Parks and he said to me oh you know Blackburn we've been watching you for quite a while we'd like to come for talks tomorrow so yeah yeah fine so up we come um, sat in the room with uh, Don and Tony and uh, me and my dad, and basically they took his first scampion chips up in the John Lewis and it's still the deal. So <laughs> it, it was simple as that. But you know, the, the thing that Don and Tony said to me is that I'd be playing straight away. Yeah. You know, Chris Price was gone. Uh, they wanted somebody straight in to play right back, and you know, I was the one they wanted. And so, it, it, you know, the the money was exactly the same as Barnes off Miss it's nothing to do with money. Yeah. It was a case of a better opportunity for me. And, uh, the best best decision I ever made really
0: so what was Don like to play for he's been on the podcast as a guest and I think he's very fondly remembered by many Rovers fans but as a manager how did he bring the best out of you
7: well he liked the sound of his own voice put it that way he's, uh, he could talk for England or Scotland should yes. we say yeah
0: definitely but, Scotland uh, yeah.
7: yeah, really nice fella you know couldn't say a bad word about him you know training was Tony took a lot of the training sessions and he'd step in when he needed to or Say what he wanted to say. He had his his little quirks that he was bothered about all the time. A lot of you know throw-ins. He was mad on throw-ins. If you ever give a bad throwing away, he'd, he'd you know really pick that up. And a little things like goal kicks. In them days, you could run back and pass it straight yeah. back yeah. to Terry Geno. You know, yeah. so I remember one day uh, played away at Bournemouth, and last last couple of minutes, Terry kicked one out. They the it back, and the lad went through and scored. And he uh, he had a right go at me for not going back to pass it back to Terry again. I was nowhere near the ball, but <laughs> that was just his ways. But, yeah, I really enjoyed playing for him, to be fair. I thought, you know, it was really uh, unlucky uh, the way things went when Jack came in and, you know, they really wanted to push forward. And yeah. I don't think he was – he couldn't really attract the kind of players that when Kenny came, he needed.
0: Yeah, I think Mike Newell was, was probably the catalyst because I know that, that it was certainly rumoured in the press, you'd know firsthand that we were interested mm. in him. And I think Don had gone in for him, and he just he just couldn't get him to drop down a division. And then I, I don't—he was probably Kenny's second or third signing, I think.
7: Um, yeah, I think that that was a big thing. was I mean, I, I mean, the best signing he made was Speedy. I mean, Speedy was outstanding. Oh. You know, for that, the season we had him, it's a shame we couldn't keep him. But yeah. you know, he was he was exceptional. And like you say, he tried to get Newley to come in as well, and he won't come. But then, as soon as Kenny came, he came. So yeah. there was definitely something in that.
0: Who was it that converted you to a more regular midfielder then? Was that Mackay or was it, uh, was it Kenny?
7: It was Tony. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the first game I ever played in midfield for for Blackburn was uh, away at Derby after had got the sack. The first game, Tony took over yeah, in caretaker. He put a we number of to youngsters Derby. in,
0: didn't he, that night? He did.
7: Got Lenny, a John Rose, Lenny John Rose, Craig Reiser, Skinner, yeah. Jason yeah. Wilcox. Yeah, yeah. They all played, yeah. So, he, But what, what basically happened, I mean, my first season, uh 88, 89 I, I ended up playing si- every first team game, 60 games, me and Scott Sellers mm-hmm. both played 60 games. And even then, in them first two years, uh, sometimes you play in the reserves yeah. because they didn't have enough players, you know, just to fill the gaps. And sometimes I, he'd say to us, oh, go and play midfield or something like that. So he must have seen something. It's not a position I'd ever, you know, played as a professional. i played it as a, a kid and I mean, in the Doncaster boys days and all that, I was a midfield player. But, uh it was just out of the blue, really, and you know you have to give him a lot of credit for seeing what he saw, and and it really took my career to another to another level, really.
0: So when Kenny came in, uh, how big a, a change was it in that dressing room? What what were you expecting, and how did the legend live up to the
7: reality? Well, I think we knew something was going to go off because of Jack's involvement. You know, as soon as Jack said. You know, he was going to come in, he was going to put money in, he wanted to get into the Premier League or the, the first division as it was then. Uh, we knew some things were going to happen. Obviously, Don had a, his first crack at it with a bit of money, Not never really worked for him. And then when Kenny came, you just thought to yourself, you know, people were murmuring that Kenny was is interested in coming to the job. And you think to yourself, he's never going to come here. You know, why would he? After what he'd done at Liverpool, he'd left Liverpool because he, you know, he was getting fed up with it all. Why would he come to Blackburn? But obviously he saw something in Jack as well, you know, and he knew there was a project there for five years. They wanted to win the Premier League, so you know that, that's that's the thing that brought him. It, it was just a totally different environment, you know. the The training levels rocketed up. You know, better players coming in all the time made it made it even better, and uh, it was just it was just a fantastic time, you know.
0: What was he like as a man manager?
7: Kenny, I always say. Any during the week was just a player. You know, you never, you never see him really speak to you about anything during the week. It was all down to him joining training. He'd have his, have his little says and stuff and things like that. Uh, one of the best players in training every every yeah, day, I would yeah. say. You know, still, still could do it. Just he his legs wouldn't to, take him yeah. as far as he probably wanted. But uh, you know, he, he'd have a laugh and a joke and everything. But when match days come. He was just totally different. He was focused. He knew what he wanted to say. Everybody in that change room just listened. You know, you never messed around. I mean, I've been in change rooms and managing speaking and people making faces at him behind him and all sorts. But in them, that in that era when Kenny was there, we just listened because we knew what he was saying was the right thing. And, you know, you just wanted to do what he said for him really as well because he was that good, you know, yeah. that good of man management. That he just basically said to us how good we were. You know, you could beat these comfortably, you're the best team going, you know, get out there and prove it sort of thing. But it, it's, uh, it was all positive things. So was Ray the technician? Yeah, I mean, Ray took every session. You know, as soon as he came in, he took over from Tony. I mean, Tony helped him and that. But uh, Ray was absolutely fantastic. He gave us a way of playing, which I'd never known before. Um, like a pattern of play that we were sticking to. Whoever played in a city it was got a system together, where whereas before it was a bit off the cuff. You know what I mean, you knew your positions and you knew what you're supposed to do, but with Ray and Kenny, you knew exactly where you should be with the ball and more importantly, without the ball. Without you know, we did a lot of work without the ball to stop teams playing against us to make the best that we could be. Yeah. You know, we did a lot of play, you know, going forward, but, you know, I'd say probably 60-65% of it was defensively. So we knew exactly what to do, and it, that helped us moving forward.
0: Building on a solid platform and all that sort Yeah, of definitely,
7: stuff. yeah. So what
0: went wrong with those run of 60 feet? What suddenly fell by the wayside? Because I can tell you now as a fan, it was a hairy old time. God knows what it must have been like as a uh,
7: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you should have been playing in it. <laughs> yeah. Be well, yeah. <laughs> oh, to be us. quite <laughs> honest, you know, we were running away, we'd won it. Oh, it yeah. was as simple as that, we'd won it. It, it, it was all over. But the big thing that happened was Mike Newell getting injured. You know, it just showed you how much we needed him in that team to play alongside Speedy. You know, it was, there was a great partnership and once he got injured and we lost a couple of games, it didn't look like we we're going to get another win anywhere down it the line. Looked like a
0: totally it, different team. It was absolutely yeah. extraordinary. So, yeah. what, what about poor old Duncan Shearer then? What, <laughs> he was kind of like drafted in, obviously, to be the new replacement.
7: Um, yeah, well, I, I actually played with his brother at Scunthorpe, you know, years and years back. Okay. Yeah, and uh, he was the same. Couldn't hit a barn door. But, <laughs> but Duncan was a great lad, and he'd always score goals. Whatever he'd be, he's got a handful was, for Swindon. Yeah. Yeah, loads and loads, and it was funny that he just couldn't couldn't get it get it right for, for us there, and uh, you could see the the frustration in him, you know, yeah. in training and, and in the games. It just weren't happening for him.
0: Yeah, it, it was it was a strange old time. It really, really was. But we managed to claw it back, obviously, after that fabulous mm. win at Plymouth to get to the playoff final. What was it like in the week leading up to the playoff final? Then, how confident was the team, how nervous were you about what was what was at stake?
7: I think we knew that, you know, after them six losses, if we could get in the playoffs, we knew we'd stand a good chance. And I think our our biggest um, t- rivals, should I say, were Derby because they'd spent yeah. a lot of money. And I think whoever was going to get through that game were going to be favourites for the final. Yeah. And I think, you know, then two games against Derby were great, great games of football. You know, unbelievable. The first game was just... Something, some game and never forget it, yeah. was, it was a magnificent game of football uh, oh, that, that first 20 minutes
0: at Ewood was just absolutely extraordinary yeah. the number of people that were sort of sat there in the crowd going, I can't believe this
7: yeah, and yeah.
0: then once well, we started scoring I, I just wanted another five minutes because I felt we'd get another two or three and
7: we had one disallowed that was never disallowed and I squared it for speed yeah. for his hat trick which would have been another one. She took it away. But we, we you know, like I say, the second half we were, we were outstanding. They couldn't get in it, and you know we should have probably got a couple more. Yeah. But great game of football. But was... I think, you know, to answer to your question. I think in a one-off game, I think we'd have put back to, our, to ourselves against anybody in that division.
0: And what was it like walking out at Wembley and seeing all the fans there and the atmosphere and the noise?
7: Yeah, I didn't think. I didn't think much to it. um lead up to the game I think the week before it was just normal and you know I wasn't that nervous night before or anything. anything I mean I roomed with, with Scott Sellers uh, at that time and we, we had a good night's sleep and we were ready to you know to go but as soon as we started getting near Wembley and we, we came in round the back uh, where the old changing rooms were yeah. and it was all Blackburn fans yeah. and it, it was just unbelievable the atmosphere as we were coming in you know the Everybody's screaming and waving and that, and as soon as you get in the changing room, it's it just gives you a lift straight away, yeah. and then to to come out onto the pitch through all the, all our fans were at that end, yeah, it was just something else, and that's when you felt to yourself. Wow, you know, this is a different experience to what I've had before, but something I'm going to enjoy.
0: Yeah, the uh, the missed penalty though kept it nail biting to the end. Typical Rovers.
7: Yeah, I mean, Newley had obviously scored the first one with Speedy going down in a in a heap, as he as winning we call winning the
0: him. penalty, as I think yes.
7: this is. Yeah. Yes, definitely. But uh yeah, I mean the second one, the, the keeper brought me down, and you know it was a definite. And I, I, I thought he would score. I don't see Newly missed many penalties. I, yeah. I had biggest confidence in him scoring, but it didn't happen. And then I missed a sitter. To be fair, my biggest regret I've had in my whole career that ball came across the six yard box, and I tried to be too precise and not go for the corner. I tried to make sure, and the keeper made a good save, but. It's worth it. But managed to hold on. I think Leicester played well. To be fair, the second yeah. half put under a lot of pressure, and we managed to get through.
0: I think it was payback for some of those other playoff heartbreaks, though. Particularly the one at Crystal Palace. That one still rankles with me, and the fact yeah, that George Courtney was the referee at Wembley was
7: just uh, yeah, it was it was, the it, was a, it was definitely a strange thing. What I mean, the the Crystal Palace was was devastating. You know, I think. It was probably one of the, probably the best thing that happened to us as a football club because I don't think we'd have been able to compete at that time. You know, for him to be the referee after making such a yeah a bad mistake in that he year, the work. referee in the playoff final was just you know you thought to yourself he was going to give us something.
0: My word, did he owe us one? Absolutely. So the Premier League kicks off and we signed um, a promising young lad called Alan Shearer. What was he like in training and what was the impact that he had on the squad?
7: Well, we must say, uh, if we were doing running sessions, he was the worst runner in the world. Uh, he was always at the back, and not just at the back, miles behind everybody. He just couldn't get his head round running. But as soon as you brought the balls out, he was, you know, you know, he smashed goals in from all over. Loved, loved playing football. Loved getting involved with things. A great finisher. Uh, I mean, when we first signed him, we, he, he, I think he came. We were going to Hibs for a pre-season game. Yeah. And he came and he came and played. I think he played first 45 minutes and he was awful. And we were looking round in the change room half time saying to ourselves, what the bloody hell we got here? You know, we can't can't do this, can't do that. And, uh, but he, uh, obviously when that first game came at Crystal Palace, he showed everybody what it was all about.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't see the Hibbs game, but I went to the West Bromwich Albion pre season game, uh, where yeah. Simon Garner had just gone to the Albion and, uh, like you say, he was he was just anonymous. Then he picked it up at the edge of the area, took one touch, bang, top corner. Yeah. and there was sort of a visible sort of like, oh my word, what, what have yeah. we just seen? And you thought, yeah, we're onto something special. But as you say, those two goals at Crystal Palace really, really raised uh, raised the bar, certainly. So, from your perspective, when Dalgleish went out and signed the likes of Paul Warhurst and David Batty, what was the to what extent was the writing on the wall? Did you think? How did you react to those guys coming in, in your position?
7: I I mean, you know, it got to a stage when Kerry had been there for a while that every Thursday there was a new player coming. in, mm. And it, it got to a bit of a jog that everybody got in there half an hour earlier on a Thursday, just so sitting in your place all changed ready to see who's coming through the door. <laughs> you know, we'd be having bets <laughs> on saying, on Man, who's, yeah. <laughs> who's coming through today and whose position is he going to take? But I always felt, especially in the first season, I always felt I was part of that team. You know, I played quite a few other games, did did quite well. Obviously, when he signed David Batty, things changed because Bat's fantastic football. You know, one of the best midfield players I've ever played with, ever seen, to be fair. I mean, he could do things that people people say he's a square passer or a back passer. He's not. He's got a great range of passing. Yeah. You know, could do a lot, looked after himself. So, great player. And I had no argument. You know, you know what I mean? It was difficult for me to go in and say, you know, be Batty and Gere without doing it. You know, we're, we're still going second in the league in, in 93, 94. And so it was really difficult. I only think he only played eight games or something like that and never really got going. So it was difficult. But the, the big thing for me is that teams had come in for me and asked to speak to me. And the first thing i do is go and see Kenny. And I say to Kenny, you know, do you want me to go or what's the situation? He said, no, I want you to stay. Every time he said, I want you to stay, and I never spoke to any club that came in and made an offer for me because I felt wanted. Right. And, uh, you know, I was very pleased I did, obviously, we championship season. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So in that, in that title winning season, After finishing fourth and then finishing second, I think the expectations had been raised and we were the main challenges to Man United. To what extent was the sense in the squad that this is our year?
7: Uh, I don't think there was. I don't think nobody talked about this, you know, we can win the league. I think the the league was that hard. There was so many good sides that we knew we just got to concentrate on what we can do. You know, we started the season okay. It wasn't spectacular. But then when we went on the run with 10 wins out of 11 games, we went top of the league. I think people then were looking at it and saying, hold on a minute, what are these doing? Because I don't think anybody thought that we could maintain what we were doing, especially with the, the injury we had with Bats being injured and yeah. Kev Gallagher breaking his leg, you know, two big players for us. Really, it was it was probably, I think probably November, December time when we really had a look at it, when, you know, we were top of the league of saying, you know, we can really do something here, you know, but saying that nobody ever was in the change room saying, "Come on, we can win, this we can win the yeah. league here." It was just in your own yeah, mind. You background. think to yourself, yeah. "Yeah, yeah, you think to yourself, yeah, we we, we can maybe do this." But uh, you know, you you just have to take games take game by game. I know it's a saying that people hate, but it is the next game's your most important game. Yeah. That's all that matters.
0: One of my favourite interviews I think, of that season was, and I remember it because it was my birthday weekend, we went to Aston Villa and Colin Hendry scored to win 1-0 and that was the day that Man United beat Ipswich 9-0 and Kenny was interviewed on Match of the Day and they sort of said, you know, Man United 9-0 eh? And he says, they only get three points don't they? And it was was just a little off the cuff comments like that that sort of made you think yeah, yeah you're absolutely right, we got three points, they got three points, it's all going to be great. But that last Sunday, I mean, you weren't in. You weren't directly involved at, at Anfield. No. You and Kevin Gallagher, as I understand it, had a, had a, a mission on the bench to sort of uh, just cheerlead. What was it like watching?
7: It was awful. But you know, the more people we spoke to over the last couple of weeks with the with the anniversary, I think that the people that have played said it was awful for them as well. Yeah, you know, it was just a <laughs> difficult day all round uh, for us. Not not being involved was really disappointing because you also want to be be involved in some way. Uh, he felt a bit out of it, to be fair. But uh, Kenny, you know, he tried to keep us involved and we was in the change room beforehand and he basically said to us, you know, you're going to be nervous or anything, go and get a drink. When I drink before the game, it might settle everybody's nerves and calm me down and that. So we went in the. We tried to get in the players lounge and couldn't get in there. And so some guy said, oh, come in the sponsor's lounge. So we went in the sponsor's lounge and uh, we was at the bar, we, were a cup of, we had a, ordered a drink and there, there was somebody singing in the lounge. And uh, we just thought, there's a singer that they have all the girls. With. It's a bit strange because sponsor's lounge is usually quite quiet. I don't know the people talking and that. Yeah. Somebody's singing. He's around the corner, so we come to see what? Yeah. Uh, 10, 15 minutes later, Neil Razor Ruddock comes around the corner. He's, got, he's singing on the mic. Good He'd been out all night. He was still... Still half drunk, I think, and uh, singing away to everybody, so that, that settled his nerves a bit. But well, we had a couple of drinks and went onto the bench, and you know, it was uh, very nervous times because at one stage, you, you know, you could see it falling away from us. Oh, wow. I mean, I was sat right against the, the tunnel, and um, of, of the other side of the tunnel was a Sky Sports guy with a monitor, yeah, and he was watching the Man U West Ham game, and all he, he kept going, holding his head, and oh no. And, <laughs> And everything like that. And uh, it it was horrendous. Oh, they've just missed another chance. and all over them. And it was like, it's only a matter of time before they're going to score. So I I did think at one stage we needed to win. We needed a goal from somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone was sort of saying, oh, Redknapp's goal has killed it. But of course, at 1-1. It was uh, it was still on a knife edge even even at that point. But the the, uh, the pictures that always sort of stick in the memory were Tony Gale sort of like leaning over and then jumping up in mm. it, and then utter bedlam breaking out. What was the uh, what was the post match celebration like?
7: Um, can you remember any of the post match celebration? <laughs> I can remember parts of it, but it, it lasted for quite a long time. A I must say that. Too. But yeah, but at least. Uh, but, you know, that night we ended up going to Bistow Fence in Preston because we were told we couldn't get back into Blackburn. We, we, you know, the idea was to come back into Blackburn and celebrate with everybody there. Yeah. But the roads were all shut and people yeah. were on the streets and everything. And it was amazing. But So we had two busloads, one with the players, one with the wives and the family. And uh, we all went to Bistow Fence. Uh, the guy Kenny knew and basically said there's a room upstairs we could have, but there's a private party downstairs. Yeah. So we we couldn't get into the main area. Uh, so we were in the, in the upstairs, we were partying away, and within an hour, an hour and a half, we're down in the party, and there's a, there's a band on, and <laughs> all every all lads on the stage, we're all dancing away, it's just fantastic. But uh, yeah, it went on for a few nights. I must say that, especially with those lads that lived in Blackburn, we was we uh, was out quite a bit.
0: Yeah, why not? Indeed, why not? Indeed, it's uh, I owe you an apology by the way because I did an online quiz the other day about the that came up about the anniversary, and one of the questions was who was the third highest scorer. After Shearer and Sutton, and I plumped for Tim Sherwood.
7: Yeah, and I think you. Well, know I the think we got the that. same, didn't we? We got uh, the same. I think. I think you. Yeah, you but
0: more in the league than he did, yeah. I think. That sort of t- tipped it over the edge. So uh, yeah, yeah. the goal-scoring machine that was Mark Atkins came through.
7: <laughs> well, that's that's the A in SAS, isn't it? Nobody ever said that. Very <laughs> <laughs> good.
0: Yes, yes. We'll have to, <laughs> have to make more we'll of that. Put the that commercial, forward now. Yeah, the yeah. commercial possibilities are endless. All the rest of it. <laughs> but no sooner had that happened, and you yeah, know the, the summer passes by, um, and then Wolves come in for you. So what was, what was the story behind that?
7: Well, Graham Taylor... Had been onto my agent all year for that, for ninety four, ninety five, and wanted me to go early, early on in the season, really. Um, but I stuck it out because I was playing, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to play. I want to, I want to keep playing in the in the Premier League. it's Simple as that. Uh, I was out of contract, and no contract offer came all season, which I found a bit strange. After I've been doing so well, I thought I might have had an offer of some sort. They made me an offer at the end of the season. Uh, a two-year contract, which would have took me to nine years at the club, um, not on great money. I must admit, it, yeah. it was nowhere near what anybody of the top players were earning. Um, I mean, during the championship season, I was getting more for winning a match than I was on my basic wage. Wow. So that just sums up what I was, what was on, you yeah. uh, know, things like that. So it wasn't something where I could have said the money. Changed it that I would have stayed. Uh, what what we did say to him is that yeah I'd sign for that if they could give me another year and I'd have a testimonial because uh, obviously that was the way forward in them days. Yeah, in those um, days
0: that was the the reward, wasn't
7: it? For yeah. So that they turned that down and said no, that's the offer you you're getting. So we started started so I still didn't make it. And mean, the wolves still wanted me to go, but I thought you know I'd, probably, I'd I'd had a good season. I thought I still could probably play in the team. Um, so i stayed or pre did all pieces still out of contract on a month-to-month contract didn't get going really very you know chose to play uh, back in sherwood and didn't get in the team i only played i think he only played one game really i think and then the champions league game i played in um, but i think I only played i mean he put me on the left wing in the champions league game and you know i didn't really think that was Viable, I think he was just trying to get me a game, but yeah. it wasn't probably the right thing to do because I think there's probably better players who could have played out there, you know, it's in that sort of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it it was strange. It was hard, you know. I think I didn't didn't. I got to a stage where I didn't feel wanted by the club. Yeah, you know. After after I think I thought I'd give them good service, and you know, I think should have got a bit better. Deal. They never budged on the deal at all. That was it, and then got to September, October, I think it might be September, I think. And Wolves came in again for me uh, made a good offer. Blackburn wanted double. They offered a million pound and Blackburn wanted two million. I had to go in and basically say, You know, you're not doing me any favours either way. Either yeah. offer me a contract that's yeah. worth of a two million pound player Absolutely. at that time yeah. or yeah. We'll let, or me, let go. me go yeah. for one million, you know. So in the end, they agreed to one million. So I went I and went uh, spoke to Ray. And basically said to Ray, look, you know, same as I did with Kenny, you know, will I play? And he basically, you know, Ray was an honest guy. He said, probably not, you know, if someone gets injured, then he will be the next one in. So, but at the minute, probably not. So, that just made me mind of it, it was time to move on, which, uh, it was a sad time for me, because I, I love the club, you know, I love living in, in Blackburn, it was a great place to live. But that's come round and, you know, I can't, can't lie, Wolves offered me double. You know, so it, it was a no-brain. It was a good club, another good club to go to. we were trying to get into where we were in the Premier League, yeah.
0: Yeah, because they seem to be using the same sort of model as you said. There was Derby County, Blackburn, yeah. and Wolves, all with sort of like the, the benefactor owners that were that were trying to move it forward at that time. So, what what was the what was the what was it like playing down at Wolves then? How quickly did you feel at home there?
7: Oh, very straight away. Fantastic place. You know, really, really good fans as well. I mean. Yeah. I rent, rented a house in the middle of the town, you know, I was about three minutes away from Molyneux. It was a nice area, but it was the worst thing I ever did. I had people knocking on my door left, <laughs> right, and centre for about a year where I rented. So in the end I rented this for a year and then I had to move out of the town. It was that busy. But great people, you know, good good sense of humour they have. Uh good good squad of players. You know, should have done better. I mean, this my first season, Graeme Taylor, took me there. I thought Graeme Taylor was fantastic. You know, great guy. I mean, I went into my to meet him. I mean, my agent had done the deal, so yep. I went in to meet him on the third day of signing, and he basically said to me, "I don't think I'll be here in six weeks, but uh, you know, hopefully I am, and we, we can spend a lot of time together. But in them in them few weeks, we'll we'll uh, try and get something going. You know, we I think I think we ended up my first six or seven games. I think we won about four, only lost one, and then we lost again and they sacked him, so they were just waiting, yeah. you know, to get rid of him there, yeah. but great guy, you know, really, really good um, tactically, you know, knows the game inside out, you know, knows how man management was excellent, I was, I was really sad he, he left, and, and Mark McGee came in, who was somebody who uh, tried to get me for Leicester when, I when you know, in the oh, year okay. I didn't play in 1993 yeah. so... It was somebody I think liked me, so you know, we, we did OK. First season was all right, we managed to come toward it. And then the second season, we were up in the top two for a lot of the time. I, I was playing sweeper uh, in, a, in a back five, uh, playing really well, really enjoying it. And uh, just we just got caught at the end. Barnsley got the second spot instead of us and uh, got beaten in the playoffs against Crystal Palace again. <laughs> so what is that name? Didn't, yeah. yeah, didn't like seeing them at all. But uh, great, great. I mean, the the playoff final, well, the playoff semi-final home leg, we got beat three one at Palace in the first leg, and Dougie Friedman scored twice in injury time, so it was one one after ninety minutes, and he scored twice in injury time to make it three one. Um, but the home leg it, it is the loudest I've ever heard a crowd. The atmosphere was unbelievable. Yeah, you know, we managed to win two one, just not enough. But yeah. uh, it was a shame.
0: Yeah, so yeah, Crystal Palace. to say that name that crops up again. So you, yeah. you ended your career, or pretty much ended your career, back with your hometown club. Did did that feel sort of like you'd uh, you'd done the full circle then and come back the way round? Was it always an ambition to play for Doncaster?
7: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I always wanted. I like, say as a kid, I always fancied. Uh, you know, wanted that. If Doncaster made me offer to sign the same as I'd the signed for Doncaster, yeah, I was a Doncaster fan and Doncaster a lad. It was strange. Because I went to York first, after leaving Wolves, I, I, I got offered a deal by Reading, um, but didn't go to Reading, I went down for a week to look at houses, and it was just too expensive to go down there, I couldn't have made it work, so I, I came back up and signed for York, because Mimsy was at York at the time, oh, Okay, and I signed a, th- a three month deal just to see how things go, see if anybody yeah. else came in. And uh, in that time, uh, I mean, Doncaster were in the conference, but uh, a mate of mine who I've known for a long, long time, Ian Snoddin was the manager.
0: Yeah.
7: Uh, they were trying to get themselves back in the football league, and he said, well, you know, if you're not happy, come down here and see how it goes. You can leave whenever you want. Somebody wants you to go. And I had a great time there. You know, really, really enjoyed it with them. Good set of lads, you know. Non-league football was was not great. I mean, I knew I could play at a much higher level. Yeah. But... Uh, it, it was really time to settle down we moved back to Doncaster and this is where i've been ever since then um you know played at Shrewsbury for two years after that and you know just travelled from here so that that had
0: completely eluded me you know that he played for shrewsbury for two years after so yeah that uh... played
7: in the in the game when the, the 2 FA cup games them beat everton at shrews everton oh FA yeah cup when david
0: round. Moyes was manager at everton yeah yeah,
7: yeah. and then we played we got, we drew chelsea and they brought the full first team zola and Lampard and everybody in the, in the next round of the beat was three, 3 1, I think something like that. So, yeah, so I had a good. I mean, the, the other thing about the Doncaster was, um, Snod got the snack, sack at one end of the season, and uh, myself and Dave Penny took over. So, I actually captained, played, and managed the team at Doncaster. So, it's not a bad thing to have as a local lad,
0: no, particularly for your hometown. They say that must be absolutely fantastic. And you've had one yeah. sort of like serious management stint at Matlock Town. Um, mm. Does management appeal to you or have you tried it and you've moved on from that?
7: Yeah, I think uh, it's very difficult, non-league non-league management. It's, uh, it's a case of people talk about management being 24 hours a day. Well, non-league mm. management's a Tuesday night, a Thursday night and a Saturday. But it's not. That's what people think it is. It is 24 hours a day. My phone was ringing all day, yeah. every day. Very, very difficult on a small budget. Uh, what happened when I went to Matlock? They were, undergo- they were just due to knock their stand and the clubhouse down, which was falling apart. So the first season I went, they were in big, big trouble. Bottom of the league by 12 points uh, in October. So I managed to save the club with four games left, which was good. And then from then on, they were knocking everything down, which was nearly falling down, and going to build a new stand and a new clubhouse. So for two years, I was on the minimum budget I no was allowed <laughs> you know there was no no, no scampion chips that. yeah no nothing like that so uh, uh, and the thing with non-league players they will go somewhere else for £10 extra even if yeah. it costs them £20 to get there yeah it's, uh, it's that sort of thing so it's it was difficult throw. but yeah but really enjoyed it you know really enjoyed it I had six full seasons there and then the 78 it was just time to to call it a day I just had the I don't know, I resigned and and then, luckily, Andy phoned me and asked me to do a, a radio game, and so that's where the know, broadcasting thing since. came in. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: excellent stuff. Well, Mark, you'll always be a, always be a hero to me. You'll always be a hero to many thousands of Rover's fans for your for your efforts over the years. I think you're you're one of the the few that, that, that straddled the different iterations of that club, and you, like most of the supporters, saw it change in that, that three or four year period and we achieved heights that we never ever thought that we'd achieve and we wouldn't have done it without our third highest goal scorer so on behalf <laughs> of, of all the fans let me say thank you even if the club didn't give you what you deserved at the end of that season and it's great that you're still uh, in, you know, in touch with the Lancashire area even if you're like me living in in South Yorkshire the, the wrong side of the Pennines from my perspective but I guess the right <laughs> side from your perspective so thanks once again for giving up your time it's been really terrific chatting with you very enjoyable and all the very best
6: no, thanks very much for enjoying it.
0: Hi, Lynn. Uh I've had to ring you. I've got an
7: idea.
3: Go on, but you're going to have to be quick because I'm halfway through listening to the BRFCS
7: podcast. Picture this. The Riverside stand, the big redevelopment.
3: Okay.
7: Okay, bear with me. We're going to take out all the seats.
3: I've got it. Safe standing.
7: Oh,
1: no, 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 no.
7: It's better than that. We replaced the whole lot with sunbeds. What? You bet. I've actually just got a Rover's beach towel from the Terrace Store, and it's absolutely fantastic. High quality, retro's Rover's design. Mine's based on the 1995 Awaken.
3: I like the sound of that. You could be onto something. Where did you get it from again?
7: I got it from theterracestore.com all the podcast listeners get an exclusive discount by entering the discount code brfcs at the checkout
0: so it just remains for me to say thank you very much to all our contributors tonight we had cammy holly Lucy, Linz and Bill forming our panel to talk about lockdown and of course a massive thanks to Rovers legend Mark Atkins for giving up his time for the special part to interview. We also have to say thank you to our sponsors, TerraceStore.com make sure you enter BRFCS to get your 10% discount and last but by no means least to the guys in the Symmetry Band for all the music used in this and every episode. We're really running do. Euro '96, you know, on ITV1, so that England Scotland game must be I, due any day now.
3: I don't even know why you're joking. Like I, I've had so many texts saying, "Oh, what are you doing Sunday at quarter Not watching that on ITV4? Thank you very much."
0: Fantastic! Oh, I'm sure there'll be an interview with Colin Hendry on right after. It.
7: Oh yeah! I can't wait. Bye guys. See you. Thanks once again, bye. everybody. We really down. appreciate bye. it. Cheers. Bye. Okay, bye.